open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Mark Rock Tower, Mark Rock Tower, this is Albatross 1 3, requesting permission to land. Over. I don't need a computer to tell me how to land a damn airplane. Six. Heads up display, check. Five. Lasers, check. Four. Particle beam, check. Three. Photon bolts, check. Two. Chair control, check. One. Let's do it. Broadcasting from a secret underground location somewhere in Moss Eisley, this is the Docking Bay 77 Podcast. Make yourself comfortable. The show is about to start. Hello, welcome, and come as you are. This is the Docking Bay 77 Podcast, and I am your host, Dayton Johnson. We've got a great episode this week, and I've got some great guests along for the ride. First... Let me introduce a guy that sued Nirvana for not using his nude photos on the Nevermind album cover. Please welcome Mike Vermillion. How's it going, Mike? I'm still waiting for my royalty check. (laughs) And also, please welcome a guy that gets kicked out of the karaoke bar every time he does a Nirvana song, the co-host of the Infectious Groove podcast, Russ Robinson. How's it going, Russ? Not too bad at all. I'll get away with a Nirvana song at karaoke one day. (laughs) It'll happen. It'll happen. Yes, I, I, and I would love to hear that. Um, I was on uh, the Infectious Group podcast a few weeks back, and it was a wonderful experience. And Russ uh, said he'll return the favor, and here he is. So, Russ, for people that don't know what your podcast is all about, uh, why don't you tell them? Got the podcast with a new episode every Monday, and then we actually have uh, YouTube videos that are totally separate content from the podcast that come out every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. And the extremely short version is that we're a music podcast, but we try very hard to keep things positive. We talk about music that we like, artists that we like, uh, whether it's underrated or uh, something everybody knows. I just feel like there's so much music out there that instead of doing a show about worst, you know, top five worst singers of all time or whatever, we can just keep it positive and talk right. about things that we like. And uh, so that's what we do every week. We open up and, you know, you having been on the show, Dayton, you know, we always talk about like what we're listening to, regardless of our main topic, uh, no matter what it is. Uh, and give people a little bit of a reason you know, why we're listening to what we're listening to. And then we just go through and have as positive of a discussion as we can about whatever topics might be out there in the music world. Right, right. It's uh, I got hooked on it from uh, the Shirley You Can't Be Serious podcast, guys. You did a Shirley Showcase with them. And and uh, I've been hooked ever since. And it's, uh, it's, a great, it's a great ride. So check them out if you haven't already. Um, all right. So let's move on to the topic. Um, we are going to discuss uh, a truly great record. Uh, released in 1994, we are going to talk about Nirvana Unplugged in New York. Come as you are, as you were, as I want you to be, as a friend, as a friend, as I Thank you. 
So uh, usually we do like history of the bands when we discuss certain uh, bands and things like that. But uh, as I mentioned, the Shirley podcast guys did a great history on Nirvana when they covered Nevermind. Um, so if you really want a good, a good history, go check the, that episode out. Um, but I do have a quick Nirvana story before we get into the facts about the album. So let's flash back to our college days, Mike. And I had fallen asleep on the sofa at my parents' house and I woke up at like two in the morning and looked up at the TV screen. And I see these goth looking cheerleaders with an anarchy sign on their outfits and all these long haired hand begging kids in these bleachers. And in the middle of that, I see these three guys. I have no idea who the hell they are. The sound wasn't even up. So I'm like staring and not really grasping what I'm seeing. And of course, that was the video for Smells Like Teen Spirit. And that was my first introduction to these guys. And I even the next day, I went to go find uh, our friend John. I was like, do you know who the hell these guys are? <laughs> so I'm pretty sure that was like the last thing that Headbangers Ball episode played that night. Um, so Russ, do you remember your first time exposed to Nirvana? I do. They uh, were, you know, when you grow up and you have, I had two older brothers and many of us end up trying to chase what our older brothers are into and right. whatnot. And uh, so I very clearly remember my next oldest brother always had like a really good sound system in his vehicle. It was like all Rockford stuff and all that, right. you know, which at the time was great. And so I remember very clearly there's a, uh, regional record store chain up in Michigan called Harmony House. And my brother and I pulled into a Harmony House and I said, oh, what are you getting? You know, and he goes, as as nonchalant and dismissive as an older brother can say this, he goes, oh, you haven't heard of these guys. <laughs> you know, so he went, in the, he went in the record store and I was sitting out in the car and he came back and put in, never mind. And I remember very clearly Dave Grohl kicking me in the back from my right. brother's sub, you know, and just being <laughs> like, holy crap, you know. And then as a very quick end to that. What's funny is, of course, Teen Spirit comes out of, or I'm sorry, the record comes out of Teen Spirit into In Bloom. Right. And I just fe instantly fell in love with that song. And then I waited what seemed like a year and a half for that song to finally be a single. Right. Like they kept releasing every other song. And I was like, no, everyone needs to <laughs> hear this one song. So when In nice. Bloom finally became a single, I was like re overjoyed. Nice. Nice. How about you, Mike? Uh, Nirvana memory? Uh, yeah, I remember when they first came on MTV and I saw them and I was like, holy crap, this is entirely something different. And, you know, as much as we were enthusiasts of the, the hair band and, and the metal that was coming out of the late eighties, this was something different. It, it wasn't, um, music about chasing girls and, uh, fast cars and motorcycles. It was, um, kind of like I could give a crap less about what you think I'm going to give you my opinion. Right. And yeah. It, and of course, shortly afterwards, you know, the whole grunge scene came in behind them, but I remember this was my first experience with what was to be called the Seattle wave, if you will. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, smells like teen spirit just blew my mind and it was still heavy metal to me. It wasn't, you Oh know, yeah. It, yeah. It, it wasn't like, Oh my God, they're alternative. They're grunge or they're skater music or whatever. Um, I think they defied a lot of those genres but yeah i was like this is fresh and new and i was really into it yeah well i was uh, lucky enough to have a uh, friend john wright he bought all the cds that i couldn't afford to so i got to listen to and <laughs> never mind quite a bit thanks to him so mm -hmm. all right uh some facts about the record it was recorded at the sony music studios on november 18th 1993 uh the show mtv unplugged it aired on december 16th of the same year uh, they released the CD and cassette almost one year later, November 1st, 1994. 
Additional musicians on this record, uh, Pat Smear uh, on guitar, who would later go on to join the Foo Fighters, and uh, Lori Goldston on cello, as well as Chris and Kurt Kirkwood of the Meat Puppets. The album charted in almost every country, reaching number one on most of them. It is certified eight-time platinum uh, in the United States. This was the first thing that the band released after uh, Kurt's death in April, uh, April 5th of 1994. I'm not down, So, uh, Russ, uh, impressions, thoughts, opinions on this album. So, when by the time that even Nirvana had recorded their Unplugged, and when well before it was released, I was pretty unplugged out by that <laughs> point. Because, and to be honest, because if you remember, MTV Unplugged originally started as a half-hour format. There were right. even some bands that got, you know, 15 minutes of, I think they split more than a few of them, you know. Right. And I liked a lot of the artists who were doing it. And like, I think the, the uh, Aerosmith Unplugged is fantastic. The Tesla Unplugged is great. Like, so right. I liked a lot of the early ones. And I mean, no disrespect towards uh, 10,000 Maniacs or Rod Stewart or people who had monster records with Unplugged. But by the time Nirvana did it, my initial thought was, oh, Lord. You know, like, <laughs> you know because, and, and we'll get into this, obviously, but my initial thought was, I don't care to hear Teen Spirit or Heart Shape Box Unplugged. I just right. don't, you know. And <clears throat> to their credit, they ended up doing it so much better than I, and again, it wasn't, it's not like I wasn't a Nirvana fan. I just wasn't interested in watching them go through the motions like I had seen. Right other people do so but when when i first heard it i was like um this is way better than right. i expected yeah right i know i read that uh kurt was very adamant about it being different than all the other performances had been on there um which is why he chose a lot of covers and not so much it wasn't the greatest hits uh concert and i know he also struggled with uh the producers and things like that as, as even with um the they wanted him to do an encore but he was like no that the last song we did is i can't do better than that and and he's right and we'll get into that too but i was not a big fan of nirvana i enjoyed their songs on the radio like i said i listened to my friends cds and whatever but i gotta say when this came out i was actually working at um a chain store chain record store at the time well i say records it was mostly cds and cassettes at that point um but uh, when this came out, we played it all the time. And I was like, oh, my God, this is really good. You know, it was and it's actually only a uh, store bought copy of a Nirvana album I actually own. So uh, for that reason, yeah, it's it, it really sticks in your head. And there's lots of solid performances all the way through. So, uh, Mike, uh, opinions, thoughts. I thought it was the last hurrah for Unplugged. And I think right. it was, um, you know. <sighs> It gave you a glimpse as maybe some of the music geniuses these three guys were, because again, they put out, of course, Unplugged was more than three of them playing together, but um, the songwriting and the sound that they created and stuff like that um, was always stronger than just the three of them, I thought. 
but the fact that they um brought out songs that they had never again it wasn't um their album it was it was songs that they never recorded and stuff and they, they did a lot of um you know covers and i was introduced to you know um in the pines and i was like wow what it's, this is different you know and then you go look it up later and you realize it's a, it's a classic blues song right um it, yeah it was genius I, I i think it's underrated today but it's a perfect swan song to to kurt cobain in my opinion yeah it i'm it's it was a perfect snapshot of where they were at that point and where they could have gone had he uh mm -hmm. you know not died and um for that reason yeah it's definitely a solid record so So we're going to do our top two favorite Nirvana written songs. Uh, and Russ, uh, you go first. What are your two favorites and why are they on that list? My two favorite songs, uh, Nirvana songs on the record, happen to be my two favorite Nirvana songs at all. Okay. Like all if, right. if, I, if I was getting to write the set list ahead of time, it, like I said, when I was like, you know, uh, I don't want to hear Teen Spirit and right. RJ Box, the first two songs I would have said, oh, please do these, is Dumb and Penny Royalty. Okay. I, okay. I, I just love those songs, and I think these are great versions of them that are on the Unplugged album. Yeah, actually, uh, Penny Royalty is actually on mine. Um, it's it's one of those songs. Uh, just out the gate, I, I love the arrangement of the song. You know, I mean, it's not it doesn't follow us a typical you know verse chorus verse chorus. Uh, so I really dig that. But yeah, it's um, without the loud distortion on the record version, you really listen to hear Kurt trying to hit those notes during the chorus so yeah by far really 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 cool um so yeah uh mike you're two yeah um i mean i'm not gonna poo-poo on penny royalty but all apologies <laughs> um was up there i just like the acoustic version of it um I thought Come As You Are acoustic was just a nice twist. You know, again, you, you hear the lyrics and, and um, you pull away that distortion and stuff like that and you get a little bit deeper into the song. Yeah, I, I it, it, th this was a hard one to pick as far as, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, those, those would be my two uh, with, with Pinot Realty making a really close third. Okay. All right. All right. Um, now, uh, Russ, what is about those two tracks that really stand out to you? I mean, aside from being the the favorite songs, 
Well, the original versions of them to me are so different than what I even expected. I mean, in, I'm a huge fan of In Utero. Like, I think in every way, it's it's completely unexpected for them to follow. Never mind with that right. record. Right. And th- those were two songs that I thought showed that they could really write something super catchy that was still wildly unconventional. Right. right. And what you okay. said about Penny Royalty is, at least for me, one of the draws to the studio version of Penny Royalty is Dave's huge drums. On right. That. And when they started playing it, when I first heard this, I thought, oh, I, that's interesting. I want to hear what Dave does with that. And he, and he plays it in such an unironic opposite way that right. he plays the studio version. Uh, that I like that. And, and Dumb, to be honest, is a pretty straightforward. Like, it's not very different from the uh, studio version on there. But I just happen to love okay, that okay. song. So, yeah. Gotcha. And that's one thing when they announced that they were doing the Unplugged, my first thought was, how is Dave Grohl going to play this? You know, because, I mean, he's such a, a banger on that on the kit. So, watching watching the uh, when it first aired, just watching him sit back there and just, like, really kind of gently hit the drums. I'm like, I don't. What is this? <laughs> that, that really, really threw me. So, um, but yeah, my two favorites, and we already mentioned uh, Penny Royalty, uh, Polly. Um, I, I really like the song in general, so I was happy to see it on the list. Um, it's nice to hear uh, the version live just in general, because I never had a chance to see them, uh, obviously, see them live or whatever. But um, it's not – it's a song that when I listen to, it doesn't – if somebody says Nirvana, that's not a song that comes to mind. It doesn't sound like Teen Spirit. It doesn't sound like Heart Shaped Box. It doesn't have the same feel, but I really enjoy the song. The lyrics are super intriguing because I get all kinds of different weird – uh, images in my head, but, uh, yeah, that one is going through this multiple times recently. It was a song that I was like, I want to listen to that again. I'll listen to that again. And it, it kept getting in my head. Um, just from the first line, Polly wants a cracker. You're like, what? What do we think overall about uh, about Kurt's voice throughout this? Because he, uh, especially with the Meat Puppet songs, he tried, and he knew his voice was going to crack. Do we like how he sounds without the distortion? What do you think, Russ? Yeah, I dig it. I think that I think I read somewhere along the line. This is not a direct quote, so you know, don't hold me to this. But I read somewhere <laughs> across the line that he had picked those songs on purpose because he knew they were slightly out of his range. Right. And even if he had, even if it was way off key, which it, he, he ends up not being, he's, I think he's on key for everything, but even if he had come out in off key, like, I don't know, just the artistry of being bold enough to pick that would right. have been enough for me to be cool with it. But then I think even the ones I think is like part of plateau and a little bit of like a fire here and there where he like really comes close to, to cracking really bad. And I right. just, 
because of the artistry of the choice, I'm cool with it. Yeah, they're great songs anyway. So what do you think, Mike? I agree. I think it, it's, you know, and, and going back to not in the pond, but where did you sleep last night? Um, it, he makes them his own by having that crack in his voice. These, these right. songs become his own. Um, you know, Lake of Fire, I wasn't familiar with from the Meat Puppets. And I, when I heard Lake of Fire by the Meat Puppets, I was kind of disappointed that it didn't sound as good as Wade Kirk sang it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I see that too. It's one of those that um, I didn't know who they were, Meat Puppets, when uh, this came out. And honestly, I was, at first I heard it, I was like, is this a Nirvana song I just don't know? Um, but yeah, going back and listening to it, um, I kind of prefer uh, Nirvana's take on it. And it, I thought uh, his choices as well for doing a David Bowie song and then, mm-hmm. um, you know, songs, for, uh, the Vaseline's and whatever it showed, it showed me that, you know, there's more to this guy than I thought and hearing him unplugged and hearing him, the, just the little comments he makes uh, in between the songs, like talking to the audience and when he thanks the person for three cups of tea now and um, the record in general kind of gives you a side of Kurt that we didn't really get to see uh and so i that was nice but um yeah i it's 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 uh, one of my i never thought i would have said this you know years ago but it's probably as far as live albums go it's probably my top 10 what do you think russ jeez yeah i mean let me let me say this i don't know why it wouldn't make my top 10 like if i sat here you know (laughs) i mean if i if i sat here and talked long enough i'm sure i would be like well no, oh, hold on. Now it's at least at eleven. But yeah, like off <laughs> off the top of my head, I can't see a reason why it wouldn't make the top ten. All right. What about you, Mike? I I definitely put it as a top ten uh, live album because it's timeless. I mean, it's still pertinent today as it was what twenty years ago. I mean, I'm trying to remember exactly when this was released. Uh, but was it? Oh, it was thirty. Yeah, yeah, ninety four. So, geez, wow. See, that's what I'm saying. It's, it it still sounds fresh to me, and so that's it's it's ability to last as long as it has and still in my opinion be pertinent um makes it it, again a strong top 10 yeah and and actually a lot to your point a lot of those unplugs that i talked about that were massive records back then nobody remembers any of those records anymore yeah i know it's like uh i have a bunch of kiss fans so the reason i remember the kiss one is because of them because i you know it's like you know, this is nothing new. So yeah, it's there. They kind of made it fresh and, and I definitely like their take. I mean, I, there's plenty of other ones I kind of skipped or didn't really care about. I will say the yellow cool J one was pretty, pretty awesome. I did that came out of nowhere. And I thought that was an, a brave choice for him, but yeah. Okay, so let's uh let's discuss covers because there's quite a few on here. Uh Russ, favorite covers on here. 
This is an odd pairing, but for me, it comes down to two that I really had to think about between the two, which one I'm going to uh, choose. One is Plateau, which I believe yeah. is one of the, jeez, uh, uh, their name, the Meat Puppets. Yeah, yeah, yeah one yep. of the Meat Puppets. Song. And I just, I, I love everything about that song. And uh, again, I, uh, Kurt's voice in it, I think is great. The way he expresses the lyrics is just fantastic. Uh, and then, it, I mean, this might be an obvious choice, but uh, Where Did You Sleep Last Night is just everything about that version. It's it's uh, it's it's doom and gloom. It's uh, <laughs> intimidating in parts. It's, it's extremely vulnerable in other parts. And then, uh, you know, if if someone was going to say to me, uh, you know, well, make your case in 10 seconds or less i would be like okay play the last the last verse of that song you right. know, oh yeah yeah 10, 10 seconds of la- that last verse and you have the reason why it's so i think ultimately that edges out plateau but it's they're real close for me yeah all right all right what about you mike i'm i i've always went to where did you sleep last night during this conversation that that song to me is my favorite off the album um okay yeah it it truly is and it's probably Catching to something you're going to ask next, but um, and then again, I like Lake of Fire. I, you know, the, um, you're just hearing acoustic guitars and, and Kurt doing his thing. Um, but I, I, I agree with Russ as far as you know. Where did you sleep last night? He 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 sounds vulnerable. Um, yeah, and you can believe him. Like he didn't write this, but you can believe he feels it or felt it at one point in his life, and he's really gotten it out in the song. And, um, you know, it, I can listen to that song still today. Um, actually, when it comes up on my Pandora list, it, it pops up, you know, I'm, I'm like, yeah, this is, like I said, this is still relevant to me. I, you know, I, I think I could play it to uh, a 20-year-old right now and not tell them who it is, and they would probably get into it. It is definitely a strong song. It actually, it I had kind of a three-way tie. Um, it was that one, uh, Lake of Fire and uh, Man Who Sold the World. And because all three of those to me, because I remember the first time going through this, I heard Man Who Sold the World, I'm like, wait a minute. And I'm like, I know that's not a Nirvana song. And so I had to go back and realize, oh, that's right, David Bowie. And and I'm like, it's just so good, though. And then Lake of Fire, that one, I would always sing along to it for whatever reason. I just uh, – you know, this is the line where about folks go when they die, they don't, you know, mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, you know, and they like go where they can fire and fry. I'm like, ah, I'm digging these lyrics. So, uh, you know, whatever, but But I have to agree with both of you. Um, where'd you sleep last night? Just the the power in his voice, the emotion that's laced throughout the entire song. And I don't even because, like I said, uh, they you know MTV wanted a, a you know um, an encore. He's like, I can't I can't do an encore after that song. And he's absolutely right. It's the best way to close out the record. And it was such a good version of it. And uh, I went back and you know tried to find other versions of it to hear it because I'm just like, man, this is so good. I want to know uh, who else did it. So it's, yeah, it's a great way to say, you know what, 
we're done. <laughs> this is it. Uh, we're we're moving on. So yeah, it's it, it still it still really blows me away at how many covers are on here. I mean, almost half the record is our covers. So I think that's a brave choice. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, and it was a kind of a almost like a big F U to MTV. <laughs> because <laughs> they didn't want that you know they did they wanted to just play your hits and he's like no and right. i'm sure i'm sure this is a point you both understand and has probably been discussed to some extent on your show already but what we the point we had just made prior about the unplugged albums that were enormous at the time and probably at that time spent more time on the charts and you notice they fade away right. and that's the, the thing those are the things mtv wanted and this yeah. band you know did this the, their way and right. is we're we're literally still talking about it 20 years later yeah uh, and it's probably still generating income uh, mm-hmm. yeah no i'm sure yeah it's like you know going to the store and uh and see uh the tony bennett unplugged on vinyl or anything like that so <laughs> not, nothing to right. against tony bennett but you're not you know people aren't asking for a reprint of that or you know or a remaster version of that so yeah it's definitely uh yeah like i said it's the only one of theirs i actually own a an actual store-bought copy of so So let's move on to uh, Nirvana song you wish uh, was on the list. Uh, so Russ, all right, I think I'm going to cheat. So <laughs> go right ahead. <laughs> I, I think I'm going to cheat because I'm a little fuzzy on the timeline. I don't know. I know that the song that I picked was re- commercially released after Kurt passed, but I am not clear if they recorded it in the studio after the unplugged or not. Okay, you know what I'm saying. Right. So uh, gotcha. you know, you know, you're right. I think an, an unplugged oh, okay. version of you know you're right would have fit in like a glove on this set list. And they, to the point where I feel like it could have even been debuted there. It would be like, Oh, right. Uh, like when Petty put Mary Jane's last dance on his greatest hits album, and then it became a greatest hit. Right. You know, <laughs> like <laughs> I feel like this, if they had done, you know, you're right. I think it would be like the crowning jewel of the record. Like the people would, it, it would have been like, wow, we don't even know this Nirvana song. And now it's my favorite, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's a good call. I didn't even thought about that. So yeah, because I, I don't because I don't know the exact timeline, I might be cheating, but it, the song exists in Nirvana. Right. So right, no, that's an acceptable answer. You know, a lot of people cheat when they come on the podcast, anyway. So that's fine. <laughs> All right, Mike, a song uh, that should have been on the playlist. A great curveball question. Um, wow. <laughs> um, I, I'm trying. I'm looking at different Nirvana songs as as I'm trying to pull this out of the air, and I'm just like. I don't know. I, I I think it's it's perfect the way that it is. So I don't know if I would okay. put something else on it. So I'm kind of stuck to to say, oh, I want to slap another song in here and ruin the mix. I I really truly great question though. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm I'm just gonna uh, say Heart Shaped Box only because it's actually one of my favorite uh, songs of theirs. Heart Shaped Box was always the one that came on the radio, and I heard it, and it was just um, it's on my Nirvana playlist, and it's it's such a good song that I would have liked to have heard what they would have done uh, unplugged, you know, how it would, the tone, how it would have changed and um, the feel. Um, 
that goes with it. I think that would have been an interesting way to hear it along with this. And I'm not saying they have to take anything else out. I just, you know, maybe drop it, you know, before they do the meat puppet songs or something like that. But, um, okay. I'm going to jump in and, and, and say, I like your, your pick on that one. That, all right. So you're going to cheat okay. by following me. Got it. Yes, I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, and you know, I kind of wish that I know it was for TV and I know they've released, uh, some of the other versions like the rehearsal versions and whatever but to me it, it, it just wasn't long enough i mean i mm. i would have liked to have seen a, a like a 90 minute version of of this of this show just to have more songs just to have more of them uh would have been nice so but I, you know it's funny because a lot of things that i'm hearing um for both of you guys is that mtv should have listened to the band I, i'm not saying that you know the band would have done a 90 minute set, but MTV just kind of wanted to push it and keep it in their box. And yeah, they, I think they missed the boat big time on, on what, but you know, looking back, everybody's got 2020 vision. Right. And honestly, some bands deserve a longer slot, you know, why mm-hmm. not, you know, mm-hmm. why not let them say, Oh, you know what? We'll give you 90 minutes. So, and mm-hmm. see what you do with it. And, um, but yeah, you're right. It was MTV trying to control them. And I'm thinking, you know what? They made you a lot of money because people bought advertising because of the, because they wanted to see this band on, on your videos. So mm-hmm. yeah, either way, either way. All right. So, uh, let's move on to skippers. Um, Russ, are there any tracks on here that, uh, you don't listen to? So this is kind of an odd question. Because, well, because for, for uh, not a question for me, I should say. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make it sound no. like your, your question was bad. That's all right. I'm used to be called, I'm very used to be called odd, so it's okay. <laughs> with with a, with a live record, a lot of times I will just let the set list go right. anyways, right? So I'm not prone to, to skipping stuff. So I kind of looked at this with an odd lens. So mm-hmm. every song on this record, except for one, I would put on on its own like if the topic of nirvana unplugged came up i would be like oh i want to hear this song this song this song okay except for something in the way is the only one that i would would never spring front to front of mind for me to go oh play something in the way from nirvana unplugged right having said that if you ever put this record on when something in the way starts i'm not gonna be like oh oh oh, good lord oh oh, skip this you know what i mean like it's (laughs) a great i love the song and it's slotted great in the set list and it's a great version of it but it's the only song that I don't ever see myself saying, oh, 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 play that from Nirvana's Unplugged, you know? Right. Okay. Mike, anything that uh, doesn't ring your bell on this one? Any skippers? You know, occasionally, um, I'll I'll just, not that I don't like his version of Man Who Sold the World, but it's just every once in a while, I'm kind of like, man, I want, I want to just breeze through this one really quick and go on to, you know, again, pay royalty and, and go on through. And, but it's... I don't call it. It's it's just a really good album to where it's hard to say I would skip any of them. Honestly, I, I don't um, very often, but just just Man Who Sold the World, just because I like Bowie's version, you know. All right, all right, that's fair. And and as a side note, when this record was released, my Lord Almighty, uh, Man Who Sold the World was overplayed. Like well, it was it was the Paradise City of 1994. Holy uh, yeah, thank yeah. you for comparing it to that because man, did I get yeah. sick of that song. Yeah, <laughs> and, and again, like I, if I put on Appetite, I'm not going to skip Paradise City, right? But when it starts, right. you're like, oh my lord, I've heard this song a gajillion times, you know. And that's yeah. how that uh, even if whether whether or not you like Bowie's version better or not, like just the fact that you've heard that 
that song so much when it starts you're like yes i'm good on this yeah that's exactly it yeah good point ross yeah see radio play can both be a blessing and a curse because yeah there's there's some songs i'm just like no not again just (laughs) another station or i'm just gonna hit the bluetooth um so there's only one song on here that i don't love Yes, I listened to when I put it on, I listened to the whole thing. You know, when I put the record on, I flip it over side two. For whatever reason, it just doesn't land with me. Um, Jesus doesn't want me for Sunbeam. I just, it's one of those, I'm like, yeah, okay. You know, I, I don't hate it. I don't, I like I said, playing, especially preparing for this, I let it play because I wanted to hear everything uh, multiple times. But it's the only song on here that if they took it out, it doesn't hurt in my mind. In my mind, does not hurt the record, uh, but it just—I don't know. It doesn't do much for me. It's not yeah, terrible, but yeah, but yeah, it's just—it does. I don't know. It kind of—I mean, I know it's a cover, and I know it's a, a, a church song and everything, but it doesn't. It, to me, it doesn't fit with the other songs, and I know that's what he was trying to do, and that's cool. But for me, it's like. You know, I'm I'm just glad it's short. I guess is the best way to put it. <laughs> so, like, okay, it's not very long. I don't need to skip it. You know, I was thinking when you said that, I was thinking, you know, if it was like a minute longer, I'd be fully on board with what you're saying. I think yeah. it is the length that saves it for me. You yeah. know, like when it starts, I'm like, all right, well, this will be over soon enough. Yeah, <laughs> you know? it's only just a, it's it's barely three minutes. It's cool. You know, I can handle that. So, I don't know. It just doesn't land for me. I guess is the best way. To I like the it. harmonies in it, though. Like yeah, I mean, there's good there's good things in it. Um, uh, and I, I like the. I like the performance, but I'm just not singing along to it. Any other things people want to say before we move on to a rating? Uh, any other thoughts? Any any feels? Um, I I like that this. We remember an MTV that doesn't exist. <laughs> yes, and <laughs> very much so. <laughs> yes, um, and, and you know this. I think was also again MTV was going in a totally different direction, and had they stuck with something like this and some of this format were spun out of different whatever they became after they quit playing music videos. I, I don't even know what to describe them as, but it's a reality TV station is what it really is now. Yes. <laughs> I haven't watched it in probably 20 years. I, I um, uh, yeah. So, but yeah, they, the potential, what this could have been and how they could have influenced music had they not lost themselves. And this was like that last glimmer of what TV could be doing or could have done. So that's, that's my thoughts on that. All right. Russ, any last things to say about it before we give it a rating? Uh, I just remember at the time that it came out, it was a very heavy thing to endure because of Kurt passing. And there was so much weight that came with it. And, and I didn't even think about this till this was just mentioned. I think a lot of us at that time kind of knew MTV was starting to pass by, like what we loved of the glory days. Like when you talk about, Headbangers Ball, I think back to like uh, 
120 minutes or the show right. before that right. MTV had a show called Postmodern MTV, which was right. like the, you know, the, the first place where I heard Pink Floyd or I heard uh, the B-52s, you know, back when uh, MTV would take chances. And I think by, <laughs> you know, between 87 and 94, Kurt, you know, had already passed. And so there's the heaviness of that to come with the performance. And it's a very somber performance. Overall, yeah, it is. But, you uh, know, Absolutely. And a lot of us, like was just previously mentioned, were kind of like already in mourning of like this thing that was so influential is also passing. Passing, and I think I think the phrase that was used was "last gasp," you know. And it's, yeah, so the whole thing, I will tell you this: for geez, I don't know, ten years after that record came out, I really didn't listen to it that much. Oh, because, really? Yeah, because it was I, I liked it, but it was like attending a friend's funeral again. You know, mm. and like who, who would who would do that? You know what I mean? Like who would on purpose go back to a friend's funeral? You know. Well, they uh, Kurt even requested uh, how it's decorated, and he gave all the suggestions for stuff. And the lady was like, "You mean like a funeral?" And he goes, "Yeah, like a funeral." Yeah. So, which is so weirdly, you know, uh, just it's disturbing to think that that's what he wanted, and you know, it was just a few months later that he was gone. Right. Um, it's it's weirdly prophetic and. Uh, yeah, so I totally understand. I mean, I can tell you, um, like I said, I was working at a you know music and tape place, and uh, we played it all the time. Uh, but I wasn't about to buy it, and I only recently purchased it. It's been within the last couple of years when I started growing my uh, vinyl collection. Uh, so yeah, I totally understand that. I mean, I would hear the songs on the radio and enjoy it. Like I said, I on a Nirvana playlist or whatever. But yeah, it's um, it is definitely a, a very mood, very sad. Uh, record overall um there are a few laughs in there and and he also uh, there's a couple times where he uh doubts himself he says oh well give me another chance to mess this up and it's if you're really listening to his little lines in between the songs they're both happy and sad and it's right you know when you really th- overthink it it becomes not so much fun to listen to anymore but um you know the music definitely uh is is it's worth your time it's a yeah yeah and like I told you, like just this morning, I threw it on with fresh ears right. for, you know, for the first time in a long time. And when you just put it on and listen to it as a performance, it's a moving, striking performance. Oh, absolutely. Know? So I was going to say, and I think Russ alluded to this a little bit, but I think this is probably the best um, unplugged from the series. So even though it's a top 10 uh, live album, I think it's probably the number one album that came out of the series, in my opinion. That's for, tough for extremely similar reasons uh, to this album. I think the uh, Allison Chains Unplugged should be yeah. in the discussion as well. That's yeah, a, good point. Yeah, that's a heavy record, man. Like, yeah. And I was—I'll be honest—I was much more of an Allison Chains fan for years yeah. than I was a Nirvana fan. So, but going back and revisiting um, Nirvana and comparing the two it's like i hate when people you know do all who you know pearl jam versus alice in chains versus i'm like but they were also different you know what mm-hmm. i mean and mm-hmm. the, the the worst thing about the comparison with alice in chains and and nirvana is both their lead singers are gone you know and it's right. just uh but yeah that's a, that's those are yeah i would those are definitely neck and neck as far as uh live ones i mean there's been other good ones like i said but yeah those are those are easy in the top five considering how many they made those are are almost game changers in a way but yeah happier thoughts uh why don't we give it a rating (laughs) um so your options are uh, never again 
stream it, buy it used, buy it new, or vinyl worthy. Uh, so, uh, Russ, what rating are you going to give it? Oh, that's vinyl worthy for sure. Yeah. I, I've, owned, <laughs> I've owned several pressings of the record. I've owned, I've owned it on. If let's put it this way, if this record had been released on a track at any point, I would own that as well. Like I've, I've had it on just about every format that it's been released. Uh, and it's another thing too, in the world of vinyl, uh, and, and, and very much so in the world of Nirvana, there are vast differences in the pressing qualities that are out there. Right. And I have heard, I don't know, at least 10 different pressings of unplugged and they always sound magnificent. Like every pressing I've heard of Nirvana's unplugged sounds magnificent. So yeah, I would, uh, for sure have, and would continue to, I will probably (laughs) buy it again on vinyl someday. (laughs) All right. All right, Mike. I look forward to buying it on vinyl. I, I unfortunately do not have a turntable play music on as as of right now but uh, albums like this make me uh kind of drool over the con you know the uh, possibility of listening to it um in its purest form yeah it uh it's a vinyl worthy for me as well um it it's important for the time frame it's still timeless as far as you, know, you can put it on it still has a lot of weight it still has a good sound it means a lot to the uh, our history um with rock and roll especially in hard rock or whatever you want to call it and um you know kurt was an icon of that time frame and you know you you still go into record stores you still go into different uh places that have posters there's always a poster of kurt on the wall somewhere and so uh the performances are great um and it's definitely a solid record and yes uh vinyl worthy and I only have one pressing of it, Russ, so I'm way behind you. But uh, yeah, it's uh, uh, totally worth it. <laughs> but I understand yeah, where you're yeah. coming from because I have I have four different versions of uh, Metallica's Red Lightning. So I yeah, never yeah. they didn't do it on a track, so I I can't get that that way. But you know, uh, very yeah, very good. And so it's up there with uh, the wall as far as how many times you're going to buy it. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I just I just recently finally acquired the wall on a track. It was the only album. Yeah. Uh, it was the only format I'd never owned the wall on. And uh, just I have no a track player. I'm totally that guy. I bought a format right. I can't even play. But I finally have bought the wall. I even by way of a long story, I even imported the wall on mini disc in the mid 90s <laughs> from uh, Europe. So I've had I've had the wall on every single format except for a track. And now that's been rectified. So I'm glad you uh you know got your holy grail right there so <laughs> first thing i did i don't know if i don't know if either of you remember the format but the first thing i did was flip it over to look and see and sure as hell there's like four breaks in the album where like songs fade out and fade back in on the next oh, track. i'm like i wouldn't want to ever listen to the wall that way but, right yeah that's this, just this not right golf topic but that's how i was exposed to the wall was um on a track oh wow okay yeah and um but then the flip side is do you have the gold pressing on cd-rom i i the mobile fidelity i did yeah. own it at one time i yeah. actually i literally was just telling my girlfriend the other day i somehow saw a picture of it and i was like because you remember the the packaging for it was weird the way it faded mm-hmm. into uh black at the top and mm-hmm. i was like hey see this goofy pressing of the wall this is the best version it's the best sounding version i've ever heard yeah yeah. <laughs> well wow. i remember buying that on cd in in like 1990 and it was like 50 dollars for a double cd back then yep. Yep. and I, w- I was like what but i have to own it though yeah right <laughs> <laughs> it, it didn't stop you for very long did it <laughs> no, no 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 it was about it was it was inside of a two-minute decision there in sound warehouse yeah there's some <laughs> things you 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 get sticker shock and it only lasts a few seconds I'm like uh oh, but i have to take it out with me so gentlemen it's been wonderful talking about this great record um 
Mike, thank you once again for stopping by and discussing with us. It's always a pleasure. Oh, yes. Thank you. I got to play with my new toys today. And thank <laughs> again for those. <laughs> <laughs> You're very welcome. And uh, Russ, tell us once again about uh, the Infestus Groove podcast. Yeah, I'll just do the extremely short version. If uh, you like <laughs> anything I had to say and you can't wait to hear me talk more about music, go to uh, infectiousgroovepodcast.com because everything you need to know about what we do is there. All right. Very cool. All right. Uh, so everybody out there, if you want to reach out to us on social media, we are on uh, Twitter at DockingBase77Pod, on Facebook at DockingBase77Podcast, and you can send us an email, DockingBase77Podcast at gmail.com. Also go to Patreon, and for as little as $1 a month, you can help uh, support the show. And also, um, with the same day that this episode will drop, there will be a playlist to go along with it. We've done some for recent episodes, uh, so we have the full record that we've discussed, as well as the original versions of the covers they do, and uh, any other songs we mentioned during the podcast. So check those out as well. And also, come back next week. Uh, we're getting into the Christmas spirit. We're going to discuss... The Muppet Christmas Carol. It's going to be a lot of fun. Here we are thick into the holiday season. So once again, everybody look out for each other. Uh, look out for your family and friends and your neighbors and your coworkers. Uh, we get kind of busy and kind of forget what's really important this time of year. So look out for each other. Uh, we're all in this together and that's the way it should be. And, and buy them great music as gifts. Yes. Yep. <laughs> music is always a great gift. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, so do yourself a favor listen to more music and remember physical media is better than streaming the Ducking Bay 77 podcast is produced and edited by Dayton Johnson recorded with Rode Pod Mics the Zoom Pod Track P4 and edited on Audacity opening music provided by Eric Jason Brock you can find him on YouTube and Bandcamp thank you for listening